The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We tried to introduce thoughts last week about the kingdom of heaven, trying to focus on the aspects of the blessings truly of, of heaven that we can experience in our life of discipleship here, especially in the church kingdom. And it is truly, truly accurate as one of the lines in our song, Blessed Assurance, says, uh, it is a foretaste of glory divine. I certainly appreciate the Holy Spirit using uh, Matthew in the penning of Matthew's gospel that Matthew uses the language of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is, is all throughout the New Testament, but Matthew uses the language of the kingdom of heaven. And it's such a special thing to think about that we can truly experience a portion of an earnest of our inheritance, a foretaste of glory divine, we can experience heaven, a little bit of what heaven is going to be in the fullness of the eternal kingdom. We can experience that heaven here in our life right now. And that's exciting. That's exciting to think about. And the Lord just kind of whets our appetite. <laughs> and, and when you've experienced that, when you've felt the presence of heaven not just in your personal discipleship. You know, I appreciate the definition of uh, Brother Sonny Piles of the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's very dynamic, and there's many different aspects of that, and we hope to go through quite a few of those aspects. But he simply defines the kingdom of God as wherever heaven rules, the kingdom of heaven as wherever heaven rules. Well, you know what? There's an aspect that uh, certainly we've talked about. The kingdom of heaven is within us. The kingdom of heaven is primarily experienced in your soul, so you have it in your soul, but also you have it in the church kingdom. We have it in the eternal kingdom. But certainly we can experience the kingdom of heaven in our individual discipleship. You can experience the kingdom of heaven in your prayer closet with the Lord, right? You can experience the kingdom of heaven with your family as you're singing songs with your family and studying the word with your family. If heaven is ruling in your home, if heaven is ruling in your family, you can experience the kingdom of heaven in your family. But there is a special experience, though. There is a special experience of the kingdom of heaven that we experience in worship and in church. Because I, I think that we're going to see as we look at these glimpses into heaven that we see, particularly in the book of Revelation, these glimpses into heaven are not experienced with us simply being by ourselves in a little bitty corner isolated from everybody else. No, it's with the entire elect family of God. It's with the entire throng of heaven, which by the way, that's why if you're going to experience the kingdom of heaven, you need to be with the assembly of the saints to experience that, right? You, you know, because if that's what heaven is going to be, I'll tell you what heaven's not going to be. <laughs> it's not going to be you watching a video on your phone. <laughs> Heaven is not going to be you watching a video of somebody. It is going to be with you in perfect fellowship with the entire elect family of God. And that's what heaven is going to be. That's what the kingdom of heaven ought to be. 
here in time, here in the church, okay? So we need to understand what heaven is if we're going to really experience the kingdom of heaven here in our life of discipleship. I'm so thankful <clears throat> for the presence of the Holy Spirit in all of our public worship as we meet together, not just on Sunday, but on Wednesday, and certainly we experience the kingdom of heaven when we have Bible studies and fellowship and conversation. But I am just personally still so humbled and grateful for the special experience of the kingdom of heaven that we had during our meeting the fourth weekend in February. And if you've ever experienced that, it's really difficult to, to articulate <clears throat> when you've really felt the presence of the Spirit, and you felt the presence of Jesus Christ just, just immersing you. You know, I've been trying to use the language of being baptized by the Holy Ghost. And when you, well, how do you know when you, you're experiencing the presence of Jesus and when you're experiencing the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit? Some people say the only way that you know that if you start talking in a babbling tongue and and you're just talking a bunch of gibberish and you're running around and jumping over pews and all this foolishness that, that the Pentecostals think that is the definition of you being filled up with the Holy Ghost. Well, understand the primary feeling of, of the kingdom of God and the Holy Ghost is within you. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. But how do you feel when that comes? And, you know, I felt some of that yesterday in worship at Zion. And, and it, it, we were experiencing the kingdom of heaven at Zion yesterday. Praise God for that. But what I felt, especially in regards to being baptized with the Holy Ghost, sometimes you just feel this, this chill come down you. And it's almost like someone poured a bucket of cold water on your head. And it just goes from your top, top of your head to the bottom of your toes. Well, I don't think that's surprising that it feels that way sometimes. Because he describes it as being baptized. The Holy Spirit is described as water, right? Another way that the Holy Spirit is described as wind. The wind where it listed. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. Well, you know what? Sometimes you get that, get that little chill from the wind coming, and it just kind of brushes all over you. Have you ever experienced that in worship? I hope you've experienced that in in just private devotion, too. I hope you've experienced that in the kingdom of heaven in your prayer closet. But have you ever felt that in worship when you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit by the wind or by that water just, just like rushing over you? And I'll tell you, when you have, that is as close as we can get to heaven here in this world. And I'll tell you, you can... You can have a lot of communion with God in private devotion, but it ain't nothing compared to that experience of the kingdom of heaven in public worship. And by the way, that's why God's people need to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. Okay? You can't experience that communion with God in the kingdom of heaven by watching a video on a Facebook live stream. You can't experience that. You can have some degree of spiritual blessings by being edified by the message, but I'll tell you, church is not experienced, the kingdom of heaven is not experienced through a video stream, okay? You cannot replicate. I'll tell you, 
I, I, I had that conversation with quite a few people in the aftermath of our of our meeting. I, I believe those sermons were very blessed, and I think people have probably listened to the audio of them and been very edified by them. But you cannot replicate the presence of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of heaven when you are in the middle of the kingdom of heaven in that moment, okay? And man, like I said, if you've ever experienced that, <sighs> this world just won't do. <laughs> this world just won't cut it. I'll tell you, the things out in the world, it just won't satisfy your soul. I mean, it can tickle the fancy of your flesh for a little bit, but it just won't satisfy your soul when you leave that kind of experience and your soul is just truly overflowing with joy. Again, I, I don't really know the right words to use because it's hard to describe joy unspeakable when you can't speak of it properly, right? But I was thinking yesterday in worship as the Holy Spirit was certainly moving in the preaching, but in the singing though, I mean, there was probably 100, 120 people there and the singing was just so strong and the Spirit was so thick and I just thought in the middle of that, Man, if, if I feel the presence of heaven so much with 120 folks, man, can you imagine what billions of God's elect in heaven are going to be like? Singing at the top of their lungs. And I'll tell you, when you start thinking about things like that, when you start saying, man, this is good right now, <laughs> but multiply it times a billion, and that's what we're going to experience in heaven, boy, I want to get a little taste of that right now. I want to feel some of that right now. But more than anything, again, it's not about me. There's too many people in Christianity today that are all about how they feel, okay? It's not about how you feel. It's about that special communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ that you feel in the middle of that. You see, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus Christ rushing over you like a mighty rushing wind. And you're feeling Jesus. I mean, have you ever felt where you can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment? I mean, those... those uh, those disciples that walked with him as a physical man for three and a half years, sometimes it feels like that he's just sitting right there with me in worship. And again, if you haven't experienced that, I pray the Holy Spirit comes down in your life with the sound of a mighty rushy wind and you, and you feel that. Because I'll tell you, when you feel it, boy, I enjoy going to ball games. I enjoy going to movies every now and then. And, and, and I can have a little bit of fun for a couple hours. But it is just not satisfying to my soul. And I think part of the reason why so many children of God are so content in the world is because they haven't really experienced the kingdom of heaven. Because if you have, if you've really experienced the kingdom of heaven in your soul, you're just not going to be happy with the things out in the world anymore. You're just not. Okay. <clears throat> so, the kingdom of heaven. There is a, a lot of different um, aspects and applications and experiences of the kingdom of heaven that we see in our lives and in Scripture as well. But I want to focus today on the eternal kingdom. Okay? The eternal kingdom, which is heaven where we hope to be at the end of time, solely by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I hope you understand that the whole reason why God chose a people before the world began, the whole purpose of that 
was so that his bride would live in heaven with him at the end of time. Everything that God chose a people and then he predestinated, what's the purpose of predestination? He predetermined their final destination and where was that final destination? Jesus had heaven in mind from before he even created the heavens and the earth that we know right now. He had the new heavens and the new earth in mind for his people to experience the new heavens and the new earth before he even created the physical heavens and earth that we live on right now, okay? So God had the, the blessings and the experiences and the joy of heaven in mind for his bride, for me and you. He had heaven in mind for me and you before he even created this world. And he made a covenant because there were some things that were going to be necessary because of the fall of Adam and the, the sin of mankind. There were going to be some things that were necessary for his people to live with him in heaven. And he made a covenant to take care of all of that before the world even began. And why did he do all that? Because he wanted his bride to experience the joys of heaven for all of eternity with him. You see, that is what the covenant of redemption was based on, is God's desire for me and you to experience the eternal kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, let's highlight a couple verses that distinguish the eternal kingdom of heaven as opposed to the kingdom of heaven that we can press into and that we can experience here in our life of discipleship. But the only reason why we can experience the kingdom of heaven in discipleship is because God has already translated us in the, into the kingdom of heaven in an eternal sense, okay? I mentioned last week, don't ever put a barrier between eternal salvation and time salvation. Don't ever put a barrier between eternal life and the abundant life. No, one is just an extension of the other. It uses the language of New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth that's going to be the final destination of all of God's people. Now, I was talking about this at the end of time, but I believe it is also a picture of how the kingdom of heaven comes down right now. It says that in New Jerusalem, that cometh down from heaven now, okay? And that's pretty much what the kingdom of heaven is. You have the eternal kingdom of heaven, but then you have a little bit of the eternal kingdom of heaven come down to us right here, right now in our life of discipleship, okay? So understand, you can't experience the kingdom of heaven here in our life of discipleship in the kingdom, you can't experience that unless you already have the uh, eternal blessings of being an heir of the eternal kingdom, okay? So they're not, they're not separate and distinct and separated. One is just an extension of the eternal blessings that we already have. I mean, that's the kind of language you used in Ephesians chapter one, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So we have all these spiritual blessings in heaven, but now we can experience some of those spiritual blessings that we already have. We can experience them here in the church, right here in discipleship. So there is no kingdom of heaven blessings without 
you being put by the sovereignty of God and by the uh, election and the unconditional choice of God, without you being put in the eternal kingdom, there can't be any temporal blessings, okay, of the kingdom of heaven. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The end reading in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So here we have this picture of God translating us, literally picking us up from one place and putting us in the other place. You know, Jesus is not calling softly and tenderly for you to come unto him. That doesn't do much good to dead folks, does it? <laughs> doesn't matter how softly and tenderly you call dead folks. They ain't going nowhere. Why? Because they're dead, right? So what's the only way that someone's going to get into the kingdom of heaven? How's the only way they're going to have life? Well, God, God's going to have to give them life, right? So he translated us. He literally picked us up from one location and he put us in a new location. And what that's describing is the new birth, okay? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in sins. Okay, you're dead. Now, what was the uh, natural state that you were in? What's a broader uh, the detail of this dead in sin state that you were in? Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there was an aspect in which you were not submissive prior to the new birth to the kingdom of God, what were you primarily influenced by? Not the king of kings. You were primarily influenced by the prince of the power of the air, okay? Verse three, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This is the state that we were in. And then what did God do? Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. So this is where you were at, right? This is this dead in sin state that you were in. And then what did God do? He picked you up and he puts you in the kingdom of his dear son. And he does that vitally in the new birth. Let's go to John chapter three that gives a further explanation of this new birth, particularly related to the kingdom of God. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto you, again, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus right here. He says, I know you must become from God. You're doing all these miracles. And I love how Jesus sets the tone of the conversations that he has. Uh, Nicodemus didn't ask anything about the new birth. What did Jesus do? He set the topic. He set the tone. <laughs> Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus said, well, that doesn't make any sense how a man can be born when he's old. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And then Jesus uh, adds even more information in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So first of all, you have to be born again to see it. Now, it's certainly true that, you know, in our bodies, our bodies are not fit to live in heaven right now. Our bodies are going to have to be glorified before they're fit uh, to be in heaven. Our, our souls, when they're dead in sins, hardened, stony heart, it's not fit for heaven. How does God make our souls fit for heaven? 
He gives us a new heart, right? And so he makes our souls fit for heaven to allow to be allowed entrance into heaven by the new birth. So you cannot enter into the eternal kingdom without being born again. But furthermore, that word see means to experience. You can't experience the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, unless you've been born again. And then he adds even more detail in verse five, not just that you can't see it, you can't enter into the kingdom. Now, it's certainly true. You won't be able to enter into the eternal kingdom. You know, God's not going to let a, an unregenerate soul go into heaven, right? I mean, that's certainly true. But you also have no ability to enter into the kingdom of heaven here in discipleship either. Why? Well, you don't have any desire to, right? The gospel's foolishness to those that are not saved, those that perish. You have no desire to press into the kingdom. So what he's describing here is the new birth of when you have been translated from the power of darkness and you've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You've been put into that eternal kingdom. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 18. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So God will preserve all of his people into the heavenly kingdom. I mean, there's no possibility that a child of God could have their salvation, have their eternal life, but then there is some action that they perform in their life that can lose that. I mean, there is nothing eternal about that life. If supposedly you're given eternal life and then you can lose it, it's certainly not eternal. But the reason why none of God's elect, none of God's children will ever be lost is because God has covenanted to preserve them. He's coming in to preserve them unto his heavenly kingdom, the, the, the eternal heaven that his elect will be in at the end of time. We have a picture of this in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man, in verse 31, he comes back in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from the other as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. You see the possessive nature, right, of his sheep, but the goats, he just left them right where they were. He didn't injure them in any way. The goats are judged solely by their works, and the sheep are judged solely by the works of the great shepherd, right? The good shepherd who giveth his life for the sheep. So Jesus knows, God knows who all of his elect are, all the world is before him there at the end of time, this general judgment, and he separates his sheep on the right hand from the goats on the left. And what does he say to his sheep on the right hand? Verse 34, then shall the king, now remember, let's never lose sight of the kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom is ruled by the king. And obviously, it's only the king that can allow admittance into his eternal kingdom. So the king says, 
unto them on his right hand, his sheep, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. You see? God prepared this heavenly eternal kingdom for his elect even before the world even began. The whole purpose of the covenant of redemption, the whole purpose of Jesus coming into this world to pay for our sins, the whole purpose of that is so that all of his sheep would live with him in heaven in his eternal kingdom for all of eternity. That's the whole purpose of salvation is <laughs> because God loved his people so much he would not be without them. He loved me and you. Let's make sure we always make that personal. He didn't just love the elect, this nebulous group of the elect. He loved me and you individually enough that he says, I'm going to send my son to die for their sins, die for their sins so they can live with me in my eternal kingdom. And then he separates again his sheep from the goats and he commends the actions of love that the sheep exhibited in their life and then the lack of actions that the goats exhibited. And he summarizes this in verse 46. These, the goats on the left hand, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. So that is the final destination of all of the elect that God has purposed from even before the world began that all of his sheep will be with him in his eternal kingdom for all of eternity. Praise God. Now, for the remainder of our time, I'd like to go to the book of Revelation and look at these glimpses that we have into what is currently heaven and then what will later be described, the final destination of the elect, if you will, which will be the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem. You know, it describes hell, and then hell will eventually be cast into the lake of fire. So hell is kind of the current residing place for all the non-elect, but the final residing place for the non-elect is the lake of fire. Well, heaven is the current residing place, if you'll let me kind of use that language for the elect, but what's the final destination? It's new Jerusalem. It's the new heavens and the new earth that it gives a picture of that in Revelation 21 and 22. So I want to highlight a couple verses uh, in making our way to some of these glimpses into heaven that I think are very important for you to keep in mind as we consider the kingdom of heaven. Um, in Revelation chapter 1, and you have this beautiful, as it says in the very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's always important to keep in mind that this is not solely the revelation of church history. It describes church history but it's primarily the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and introduces the, the audience and, and the seven churches of Asia, and he's speaking certainly to those um, individual members of the seven churches of Asia, but he's certainly speaking to the elect family of God, us today as well, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. Who hath made us kings and priests unto God, and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. And see, that's one of the things that's so important to understand about the kingdom of heaven is because the majority of Christianity, this is one of the reasons why this is such an important topic, is the majority of Christianity does not understand 
the simple teaching of Jesus, which is the very first message he preached when he began his ministry, is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The majority of Christianity believes the kingdom of, of God is not relevant until a secret rapture passes, until Jesus comes back, and then all of the elect are going to come, and they are going to rule and reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years in this utopia period. And then there will either be, depending on who you talk to, the sequence is a little bit different, but, but at, then at that point, either everyone else is going to be resurrected or Jesus is going to come back, I guess, a third time at that point. Uh, it just gets very confusing. Of course, when you get into unscriptural areas, it gets very confusing very quickly. But, <clears throat> but the majority of Christianity has been confused by this dispensationalist, pre-tribulation, uh, secret rapture, thousand-year reign theology, okay? The reason why that's so important is because the majority of Christians do not think about the kingdom of heaven right here, right now at all. Because they've been told that the kingdom of heaven only applies when we are going to rule with Christ after all of the, the uh, wickedness of this world is over with, and it's just going to be this utopia period where we're going to rule with, with Christ for a literal thousand years on the earth, and that's what the kingdom of God is. That's not what the scriptures teach. This is why this is so important. The majority of Christianity does not believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is very surprising that they don't because it seems like they would read the words of Jesus where he said it was at hand 2,000 years ago, <laughs> right? And th that teaching says that at some later point, at some later point, that's not relevant to me today. At some later point, then I'll be a king and a priest with Christ, and then I'll reign with him on the earth. No, the kingdom of heaven is that we are currently kings and priests to God, and we currently reign with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you have to make sure you put the right context on that kingdom of heaven, right? Because it sure doesn't seem like, from our perspective, that the church is ruling this world. Right? From our perspective, it seem, may seem like that the kingdom of God is losing ground. Well, maybe part of the reason for that is because we don't understand the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> Think maybe that might have something to do with it? Right? But the majority of Christianity does not understand that the kingdom of heaven, all of these blessings of the kingdom of heaven apply to us right here and right now that we can experience the joys of heaven right now in our discipleship because we are currently kings and priests with God. And he is currently ruling and reigning in his kingdom. Not at a future date. And that's why you have to put the right... Um, context on the ruling in this kingdom too is because what what aspect is there of you ruling and reigning with Christ if it's just this utopia where there's no 
problems and what are you ruling over? There seems like there would have to be some degree of conflict for there to be something to rule over. And boy, we have a lot of conflict with the world here in our lives, don't we? We have a lot of conflict with this world. But the idea that you need to make sure you understand is we have the ability to rule and to reign and to overcome the wickedness of this world and really experience these spiritual blessings in heavenly places that are ours, we can experience those even in the midst of difficulty and tribulation and conflict and possibly even persecution here in our life of discipleship right now. Because see, that's who he was writing to here in the book of Revelation. He was writing to churches that were encountering persecution. And he was telling them, if you understand that God's kingdom is not of this world, it's a spiritual kingdom, it's not a natural kingdom, you have the ability to rule and reign with Christ right here, right now in his kingdom, and you can lay up treasures in heaven, you can lay up treasures in heavenly places that you can experience, and, and man can't touch them. You know, the, uh, you think about these people, and you know, we just can't put ourselves in these shoes because we've been so blessed in America. But could you imagine if someone, because of your faith, came in and they raided your house? You know, you had all these possessions, and you you had heirlooms, and, and you had things that you had, you know, spent years saving for to finally scratch up enough to buy some, and then you come in and someone just like raids your house and takes all of your natural possessions. Well, it'd be very easy if your mindset's solely on this world to say, well, I've, I've been totally ruled. I mean, I, I've lost everything in this world. But if you've truly laid up for yourself spiritual blessings in the kingdom of heaven, the child of God can then say, you know what? Yes, they've taken my natural possessions, but they haven't been able to touch my true treasures in the kingdom of heaven, you see? That's the kind of perspective that changes the church, right? That's the kind of perspective when you really understand that true treasure is not in natural things, but true treasure is in the kingdom of heaven, boy, it changes your life. It really does change your life. We are kings and priests right here and right now. Okay, so on your way to Revelation chapter 4, I want to highlight one verse in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. Now, every single one of these, I'd, I'd like to spend more time on this in the future. Every single one of these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia, every one of them gets a promise to him that overcometh. Okay? They're dealing with persecution. They're dealing with affliction and tribulation, possibly even facing martyrdom. And there is a promise to every single one of these churches to him that overcometh. Now, first of all, it's evident that it's possible that they wouldn't overcome. Now, our faith, it says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, that our faith will overcome the world. 
Now, there is nothing about this world that can get in and corrupt the integrity of faith and the authenticity of the new birth that we have in our soul, right? There's no way this world can overcome the faith that we have in our soul. But it is certainly evident, both in Scripture and in life, that our, the outworking of our faith can be overcome. I mean, think about the apostles. There were many times they had no faith. Many times they had little faith. Their faith was overcome, which, by the way, what meaning does a promise to him that overcometh, if you do this, if you overcome, these are the blessings, what does that mean if everyone is of default going to overcome anyway? It doesn't mean anything, right? But if you forsake the things of this world, if you overcome the persecution of Satan, there are special blessings that you will have, not in heaven, but right here and right now in the kingdom, you see? Because there is not a different, I mean, just use the language it says right here. Um, to him that overcome, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now understand, most of Revelation is figurative language, okay? So a lot of this is figurative, but I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, and I will write upon him my new name. Now, do you think that only applies to the children of God that act exactly right here in this world and then somehow they're going to have a higher prominence in heaven? Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because we are all joint heirs with Christ. So all of these promises to him that overcometh, it can't be talking about some additional blessings that someone's going to be have this very prominent name in heaven. You see? It has to be talking about blessings in the kingdom of heaven right now. And I'll tell you, if you feel like these first century Christians that were being persecuted by Nero and being persecuted by the Roman Empire, and you feel like that the entire Roman government is overcoming you, boy, what a happy message it must have been for them to understand. No, I'm going to overcome the kingdoms of this world because by me living faithfully in service to God in the middle of this, I'm going to rule and reign with Christ. <laughs> even while the natural kingdom of this world may be throwing the church in prison. You know, that's, that's really something to understand, isn't it? The church has always thrived in persecution, and the church has always been diminished in prosperity. That's just the entire, not, not just the New Testament. That, that happened all the time in the Old Testament, too, with the Israelites. Things got a little bit easy. They got lazy. They forgot the Lord, and then the, God sent judgment. I mean, that's the, that's the entire cycle of God's people. We always get lazy when things get easy. <laughs> always. But I'll tell you, things change when things get hard. Things change when persecution comes. And these churches were enduring persecution. And don't you know that it gave them more zeal and fervor in being faithful to God in the midst of that persecution where they saw from a natural perspective the church is being thrown in prison. The physical members of the church are being thrown in prison. But guess what? We can rule and reign with Christ in that Roman prison cell. <laughs> I mean, think about Paul. Think about Paul. He did some of his best ministerial work where he was under house arrest by the Roman government. The Roman government was paying not only his transportation fees, but paying his room and board. He didn't even have to pay rent. God was so good to, to Paul, he didn't even have to pay rent. In Rome, 
The Roman government paid all of his expenses, and he, he set up shop right there to minister the kingdom of God on the Roman government's dime. <laughs> Guess what? The Roman government, they were ruling and reigning in a natural sense and, and had, had the apostle thrown in prison, but Paul was reigning with Christ while he was under house arrest under Roman authority. <laughs> you see that? You see? That's the kind of perspective that we can have in the midst of that. Now, the language I really wanted from that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12 is that it says that these blessings that you're going to receive are in New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. That's talking about the church, okay? It's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And New Jerusalem uses the same language at the beginning of Revelation 21. New Jerusalem cometh down out of heaven from God, okay? So I want you to have that picture of these are all of the blessings that we have in heaven, but then those blessings come down from heaven to us in discipleship right now, especially when we're faithful to overcome, okay? Now, let's look at some of these amazing glimpses that we have into heaven in the book of Revelation. So the first three chapters of this book is, first of all, you have the picture of the glorified Jesus and an image of what he will look like in his second coming in Revelation chapter 1. But then in 2 and 3, you have the letters to the seven churches of Asia, some commendations, but a lot of rebuke. I mean, it's heavy. I mean, repent, repent, or I'm going to take away the candlestick. But what is the very first vision that he gives his church after hearing some pretty scathing rebukes? What's the very first vision that he gives the church after those individual letters? It's to lift their gaze into the throne room of heaven. And I'll tell you, that's what we really need in our life of discipleship, isn't it? I mean, we need to have a glimpse into heaven when things get really bad down here on earth, right? I mean, that's about the only way that we're going to be able to say, like in um, Revelation, uh, Revelation, in, excuse me, in Romans chapter 8, where it says the sufferings, of this present world, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're not thinking about heaven, it's sure going to be hard to make that statement in the middle of that. That's the same way that the Apostle Paul could make this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For we look not at those things which are seen, but if there's things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, I tell you, when the things that you do see around you, those temporal things here in time, when, you, when the things that you see around you, like the seven churches here in Asia, when, you're, when what you see in a temporal sense is our church is being thrown in prison. Our church is being martyred. Antipas, a faithful martyr, has been killed. We have those that are of the synagogue of Satan that are trying to encompass us. You have people that are introducing false doctrine into the church. These are all the problems that we see in these seven letters. When you start seeing all of these problems, boy, it's going to be very difficult for you to say, man, this is, this is just a light affliction. Unless you have the right view of heaven, right? 
But when you do, <laughs> when you do, that's when you can say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, part of the reason why Paul could be that zealous was because God had not just given him a little bit of blessings in the kingdom of heaven in the church. He had allowed him to see himself what paradise looked like. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says that I was lifted up and I saw I was lifted up to paradise and I saw things which were not lawful for me. I was lifted up to the third heaven. You know, he said, I don't know if God physically picked me up and took me up there. That's why he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. Or if it was a vision like John. I mean, John, the whole time, boy, you, you want to talk about living and reigning with Christ in the church kingdom. He was a Roman prisoner exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But as he was sitting there in his prison cell, God was unveiling these amazing visions of heaven to him while he was a Roman prisoner and, and probably in isolation, not able to talk to anyone else and see any other members of the church. Boy, what an amazing expression of the king. Don't you know New Jerusalem came down from heaven to, God, uh, to John on the Isle of Patmos? But I want you to think about that. Think about John who is sitting in a prison on the Isle of Patmos, but he is seeing these amazing visions of heaven. That is ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom of heaven, okay? And when you have that vision, it really doesn't matter what's going on around you. Because where was Paul? Where, where was John when he had this vision? He was a prisoner, right? Isolated from the church. But God unveiled this amazing vision to him, and he was ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom of heaven, while he was by himself as a Roman prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, okay? Okay. You're probably going to have to read most of these yourself. I wanted to save myself a little bit more time to be able to go through these. Revelation 4, 5, the end of 7, beginning of 19, and 21 and 22, okay? But I want to highlight as much of this as I can during the time that we have left. But... What vision does the church need when things are difficult? Again, he concludes the letters in chapter 3. What's the very first thing that he gives John and the church? A glimpse into heaven. A glimpse into heaven. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me and said, come up hither and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, which by the way, how can you experience even when your natural settings are maybe in prison, maybe in affliction, maybe in, in physical suffering due to sickness, et cetera, et cetera. How do we experience these kind of blessings of the kingdom of heaven? What did he say in the first verse? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, I tell you, when you, when you get up in the Spirit, <laughs> when you get up in the Spirit on the Lord's day, you're going to see some special things in the kingdom of heaven. So in the Spirit, 
Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. And he that sat upon it was like a... Now, I, I love this language. It's figurative, but he's using the best language that he has available to him, but he still can't even really say it. He's just using the very best vocabulary that he has, but he, he is using the very finest things that this world has to offer, like jasper and a sardine stone. He's using the very best things this world has to offer, but I know that he was still not able to fully capture the amazing beauty of the God of heaven's throne in the third heaven. And he that sat upon it he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto his emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty-four seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty-four elders sitting and clothed in white raiment. And they had on, on their heads crowns of gold. We are kings and priests now. These, these 24 elders, we're going to find out in the fifth chapter, are all the elect family of God out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. And what do they have on right now? Right now, they have crowns on their head. Why? Because we're kings and priests. We're reigning with Christ. Verse 5, Out of the thrones proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts. And when he used the word beast, he's just saying that there is creatures that I can't equate them perfectly to something on earth. So when you see the word beast in Daniel or in Revelation or all these other places, he's just using that language to say there's something I've never seen before here on earth. Now, it looked a little bit like a lion. Verse he looked, he, it maybe looked a little bit like a lion, a little bit like a calf. It had a face kind of like the face of a man and the fourth beast had a flying eagle. But he's just saying, I'm seeing things that truly are, are beyond my vocabulary. And I'm just trying to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what this may have looked like based on using, using natural earthly language. Okay? <clears throat> Now, what, what's the job of these four beasts that, again, are representative of all of the elect family of God? The four beasts, which had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, and the four and twenty-four elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. Now, chapter 5, we have this picture of a book, which is a scroll, okay? This book is not the kind of bind, uh, leather bound book that we have that has individual pages, it's a scroll and has seven seals. It's rolled up a certain degree, and there's a seal that's put on it. It's rolled up another uh, amount, and the seal's put on it, so so forward, uh, so, so forward, um, till there are seven seals. So when each seal is loosed, that means there is more of this scroll that's able to be read. Then you re release another scroll, and then you can see more of it. You release another scroll, you can see more of it. And these seven seals are depicting church history. 
Then you get to the last seal. When the last seal is open, that's the last period of church history, and that's when God starts handing out trumpets and vials that are describing, most likely, the final three and a half years right before the second coming of the Lord. And that's way more than we have time to tackle this, uh, today. But the idea is, though, <clears throat> you have a scroll that has seven seals that is sealed at different intervals. When a seal is loosed, you can, you can roll it out to read more of what was previously concealed. But there was someone that was actually worthy to take the book. He was very sad. <clears throat> there was no man. Verse 3, no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth that was able to open the book. Well, where was the lamb? He wasn't on earth. He wasn't in heaven. He was suspended between heaven and earth, right? That's where Jesus was. <clears throat> One of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders, a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand that sat upon the throne. Now, this is specifically speaking of Jesus Christ when he ascended back up to heaven after his resurrection. We see a picture of this in Daniel chapter 7 when you have the Son of Man coming up to the Ancient of Days. And by the way, he didn't just take the book when he came back to heaven to the Ancient of Days. He also took the rod of iron to rule his kingdom. We have that picture in Daniel chapter 7. But prior to this moment, and this is the scroll of church history, who has the authority to not only take, but to unloose the seals of the church history? It would have to be the king of the church, right? It would have to be the lamb. Who's the only one that has the authority to do that? The lamb. And now he comes back to heaven after he's been resurrected, and he takes the book. He takes the scroll. Now, when that happens, when that happens, when Jesus comes back to heaven after his resurrection, and this is all of figurative of all the elect family of God at that moment, what do they say? Verse 9, this is the beast and the 24 elders. They say, they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. That wouldn't make any sense if he's telling them, especially these first century uh, Christians in Asia, yeah, a couple thousand years from now, you're going to rule and reign when you're in this perfect utopia. No, he's telling them, you're ruling and reigning right now. Why? Because the lamb has been slain. Worthy as lamb. Which, by the way, if this is what the elect family of God is doing in heaven, and we will be doing for all of eternity, saying worthy is the lamb, then that sure needs to be the refrain of the church and the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, too. It sure is. And they said at the, at the end of uh, chapter 4, thou art worthy to receive glory. I'll tell you what they're not saying in heaven. I sure am glad some preacher preached to me and I accepted Jesus. I sure am glad that somebody did something and showed kindness to me and preached the gospel to me and then I accepted that so therefore I can be in heaven. You know, I think some people just have this frivolous mindset that, that they, they say, I just can't wait to go 
meet some preacher in heaven and thank him for saving me to heaven. I don't want to be too unkind, but that's borderline blasphemy. Okay? Why? What's the only refrain in heaven? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb, for thou art worthy. There ain't nobody going to be bragging on Billy Graham in heaven. <laughs> He's going to be just like every other joint heir with Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. And by the way, what did they do? They didn't say, man, I can't wait for the praise band to strike up a song and them to play this great concert that's going to be very impressive. What was the entire elect family of God doing? They were singing a new song, <clears throat> right? <laughs> Our worship in the kingdom of heaven right now should reflect the worship in heaven right now <laughs> and the worship that will be in heaven for all of eternity. And it's sure enough in the uh, electronic guitar, it in drums, it in the praise band, and it sure enough ain't bragging on a preacher. <laughs> it's singing with our voices in praise to the Lamb for redeeming us out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Okay? <clears throat> Worthy is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through the end of the chapter, you have this beautiful picture of the entire elect family of God. A great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, and their refrain <clears throat> was salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, <clears throat> I would encourage you to read the rest of Revelation chapter 7 by yourself. I'd encourage you to read Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, really through the end of the chapter, but particularly through verse 10, as the four 24 elders were saying, Alleluia, praise our God and all his servants for uh, destroying Babylon. And then you have this beautiful picture of the second coming of the Lord um, from verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And then <clears throat> we have the verses that we all know so well in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 of New Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. And he says, I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, again, the same language, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passing. Boy, I tell you, those are the things that characterize the mixtures of joy and sorrow that we have in the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of tears in the kingdom of heaven right now. There's pain in the kingdom, and there's death in the kingdom of heaven. But that eternal kingdom of heaven, there's not going to be any of that anymore. There's not going to be any of that anymore. <clears throat> Verse 10, that great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Again, I want you to get that picture. You have these joys of heaven 
But then you have these blessings in the kingdom of heaven descending out of heaven from God. And then you have the picture of the walls and of the gates and all of the foundations of the wall and then the street in verse 21, the street of the city, which is of pure gold, which is transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, which by the way, um, you remember that promise for, to him that overcometh that I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God? Well, that wouldn't be applying to heaven, would it? Because there's not a temple there, right? I saw no temple there for God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You see, they're the Lamb, they're the temple, they're the, the center of worship. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Then you have this picture of, in the beginning of chapter 22, this pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne and out of the Lamb. And in the midst of it, on either side, there was a tree of life, which bare 12 manners of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the remember, the, the original a garden, was, was cursed, right? And it was protected where man couldn't go. But now that curse is removed. And now the tree of life uh, is, is open to be protected. Actually, I believe one of the uh, encouragements to them that overcometh is that you will partake of the tree of life in paradise. Now, this right here is pretty much the fullness of heaven right here. Revelation 22 and verse 4. And they shall see his face. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them life. And notice, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now we're going to reign forever and ever in heaven. But we also have the ability to tap in to that ruling and reigning right now in the kingdom of heaven with the new Jerusalem that comes from God out of heaven. Uh, there is no vision that we need to see more clearly here in the struggles of our life than the eternal joys that we have in heaven. That's why <clears throat> we can sorrow not as them that don't have any hope when loved ones pass away, right? Why? Because we know by faith, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm -hmm. To die is gain. Why? Because of the bliss of that eternal kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And boy, if we can just get a little bit of a taste of that right here, right now, doesn't it, doesn't it excite you when you feel that? When you feel those tastes of the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it excite you to see the fullness of that. Is, is it any surprising, is it any surprise with all the things that the Apostle John saw in that vision on the Isle of Patmos, is it any surprise that the canon of Scripture is closed by Jesus saying, Behold, I come quickly. And what did John say? <laughs> Even so come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Lord, you can't come quick enough. Lord, don't tarry. And he's not tarrying, he's waiting till the exact appointed time. Uh, that has been been ordained uh, probably even before the world began. The, re the return of his second coming has been ordained and fixed. 
But when we see all of that, you know, if you read all of that in the book of Revelation, your summary should be the same as the Apostle John's summary, which is, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, allow me to enjoy the blessings of this eternal kingdom sooner rather than later because the sufferings of this world, man, they're not worthy to be compared, right? They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us in God's eternal kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.